Welcome to October's very own The Podcast About Drake by Noisy. This is Dan Ozzy. With me, of course, as always, is Eric Sunderman. Hello. Forever by my side. Here I am. <laughs> We're talking about Drake again. We're getting deep on deep, deep with Drake. It feels good to be back here. I'm happy to be in the back in the Drake chamber. In the Drake chamber. Yeah. <clears throat> talking about Drake. The six god, Drizzy. Ten seconds in, we've said Drake like 14 times already. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're going to say it a lot this episode. Um, and in this episode, we have some special guests. We have uh, Drew Millard, former former noisy editor Drew Millard, writer extraordinaire. Hello. <laughs> and then we have our first, I would say our first celeb guest. Oh, God. Heems, who you may know from Das Racist, uh, Sweatshop Boys, right? He had a... Solo album two years ago called Eat, Pray, Thug, yeah, which is awesome. It contains one of my favorite rap lines, the great Gatsby, uh, that Tech 9 and that AK. Yeah. Oh, contains one of my favorite rap lines, which is, I'm so New York, I still don't bump Tupac. What a New York anthem right there. <laughs> yeah, I stole that uh, great Gatsby line from an episode of the Waynes Brothers where uh, they were on like a Hood Jeopardy and they were like, what is the great Gatsby? And Marlon Waynes was like, all of the great Gatsby, the Tech 9 the AK, <laughs> but I didn't steal the Tupac line, so there we go. <laughs> That's the 50-50 the label gave me. So I want to steal half the shit. I like the idea of Marlon Wayans at home listening to this. Oh my God, his get my NBC, lawyer on the phone. His new NBC sitcom just got greenlit for a second season, so I think he's all right. What? Uh, Dude, sounds like you got in for a writer's room gig. <laughs> so is this is this your first ever interview specifically about Drake? Yeah. Ah, well, welcome. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) This is the hell we put ourselves through every day. Hell yeah. Uh, Have you ever, uh, just off the top, top, have you ever met Drake? uh, Like lightweight. Um, Me and Despot and Dean from True Panther used to throw this party called Shortcuts at uh, Santos Party House. And we threw uh, one of ASAP Rocky's earlier shows where Space Ghost Perp was uh, opening for him. That must and uh, yeah, super early. <laughs> and Drake showed up uh, after like I think a day of hanging out with Rocky at like Fashion Week Versace event or something. So he came through, and no, I made sure he got security, but I never got to speak with him. <laughs> I was like, you know, working my I'm not a rapper, I'm a promoter thing, and just like you know, making sure everything was right. But nah, I never actually got to talk to him that event mm-hmm. that I threw. It seems like in the music industry, especially hip-hop, you have a lot of, like, you have very few degrees of separation with a lot of artists. Um, So have you, what would you, what is, like, the closest degree of separation you have with him? Like, I I might be, like, I call it, like, six degrees of no bacon, where all Indian people, like, know each other. So maybe I'm, like, related to Nav. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't actually uh, I used to talk to her. I got beats one time from and was thinking about working with a dude named Chasen Cash oh, yeah. who's a rap producer who was like early involved with Drake and no I mean I've met people around him and uh, oh you know, guys did a song with Boy Wanda oh I got yeah alright yeah so, so you're so one degree of separation I'm one degrees of separation <laughs> from Drake yeah That's he did uh, less than anybody else he though. did ha 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 JK right yeah oh, I feel like I'm within 32 degrees of separation from Drake. 
Maybe f- un- under 50, I would say. Yeah. Should you just like email his publicist? Isn't that the one? <laughs> no, at, I don't think Working so. at Noisy? Yeah. Is I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> Your two publicists removed This, this from is Drake. it right here. <laughs> me pleading with him to come on the podcast. Drake, come on the podcast. Come on the podcast, well, Drake. One thing I'm interested about is what was the process like of working with Boy Wanda? Like, how did you guys get in touch? Um, uh, I was working with. Uh, like a co-manager on That's Racist at that point. We didn't end up working together longer, but he came from, like, Violator and had, like, a lot more relationships in kind of the more traditional hip-hop world. So, like, Scoop DeVille, I think I, I reached out to online, but Boy Wonder came in through management, and, like, uh, Diplo came in through, like, Twitter, but a lot of those relationships were just, like, working our, our personal networks. But Boy Wonder came in through Leroy Benros, who, like, uh, did... Charles Hamilton and Angel Hayes and now he like works on Zane and stuff I don't know mm-hmm. that was some industry shit basically okay yeah um, and when you got the beat did it was it just like a full beat and you guys just rapped over it or did you like send it back for him to tweak uh... no I don't think it was anything like that I think we got the beat I like the days of our life sample because I grew up with immigrant parents where like the only relatable aspect of American culture was daytime soap operas because they're like telling novellas. So like to this day, like my mom doesn't watch the news. She doesn't like watch American TV. She like doesn't like care about like America, you know, like following American pop culture. But for some reason, Days of Our Lives in General Hospital was like the closest I felt to like living in an American house as a child. So <laughs> when I heard Boy Wanda like use the doom, 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 like the like sands through the hourglass shit, I was like, all right, great, this is it. So no, nah, we didn't send it back. I, we were also very lazy and just like, you know, I don't think we were thinking about things in these like, oh, have him send back like another loop change and by the third bar it has to change like this. I think we were just like, this is dope. And yeah. our mentality recording was never to send shit back and have them reproduce. It was just like, oh, we got a beat. Let's rap on it. Let's put it up on MySpace. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know? Well, so, I mean, something I'm really interested in is just from a, you know, we're, we're sitting in here and we're a bunch of, like, music critics and nerds. And, you know, we're all kind of, like, on the out, like, looking in, you know? And, and so for, coming from, you know, an industry perspective and a rap world perspective, what it, what's what's, like, the... What's Drake's reputation, you know, or like what, 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 and how has it been to kind of see him evolve from this like, you know, kind of like corny sweater wearing guy to now where he's still, you know, wearing sweaters, but he's like one of the biggest artists he's, arguably in the he's world. wearing the biggest know? sweaters. Yeah. Well, I'll say like, as far as this conversation goes, I'm probably more on your side of the table as like a music <laughs> yeah. critic and nerd than like a peer of his in the industry. Sure. You know, maybe like peripherally, I might, like I said, run into people that know him or like, you know, I have talked to a lot of major labels over the years, you know, people that have worked with him and stuff, but I never felt like I had to compete with him, which maybe makes my opinion more valid in a sense. Yeah. Um, what do I think of Drake, man? I mean, when he first came out, I thought it was really fascinating because here's a guy talking about Jay Dilla but rapping under Wayne and, you know, just kind of coming from, like, a, a TV background but really immediately kind of overcoming that with talent. And it felt mm, just, like, more of, like, a genuine introduction to a person than, like, what you see. And with five albums, you have to reinvent yourself every time. Yeah. What's more like interesting to me is that he hasn't been reinventing himself. It feels like a lot of the same story over and over again with different curation. And like his growth exists more in his curation than his content, which like I think is like 
I mean, I guess if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And but at the same time, it's like as a rapper, you want to see him. Like if you look at what's look, obviously, like given like the political climate and stuff, you look at what makes somebody a Kendrick versus somebody a Drake, where they have the same resources, not the same talent, but you know, and maybe it's because he's Canadian. But for me as an artist, when I watch him, I'm like, given all the success you have, given all your talent, given all your infrastructure, like, why don't you use your stage to say something like political? Or why don't you expand beyond the narrative of I never expected to get famous, now I'm famous. And like, to me, that always didn't feel like struggle rap. It always felt more like a smack in the face of I never expected to be famous, now I'm famous, now I'm paranoid. Like, at once, one time I com compared it with, like, MGMT's Time to Pretend, but without any of the irony about fame. Yeah. And you wouldn't even make that comparison with, like, G Herbo. Of, like, every rapper is MGMT without the irony about getting famous. You would only make that analogy with Drake because he doesn't feel like those dudes. He feels more like, in a sense, that's the frustration, is you feel like one of me... And I understand what you're saying, but I don't want to listen to somebody talking about the shit that I already think. Like, artist aside, I'm an Indian dude that had to identify with different American cultures, whether white or black. So in a sense, like, I understand Drake, and he's like a guilty pleasure because I relate to him, like how he can code switch left and right, and how he is, in, in a sense, a culture vulture. And I'm an Indian-American rapper. In a sense, I'm I'm a culture vulture, you know? Uh, and sure, I grew up in Queens around Jamaican music and Latino music and rap and R&B, and he grew up in Toronto, but it's something that I'm guilty of, so I can see it, is like, when you can't make your own shit you look around you and loosely stretch for authenticity in things that are familiar to you but you're still looking at him as an anthropologist and a curator not a participant so those are like seven thoughts on drake <laughs> and the eighth will be like at the same time i respect drake but like in the way that i respect like the alston twins like i don't know what y'all do but y'all make money and like <laughs> i respect that but like it's not for me, you know, but you got to kind of like you got to participate in Drake, like especially like if you date girls <laughs> like, and just period, like a lot of what Drake puts out there is good music, but it's just does it relate to me on like a spiritual level, like when I'm at home or when I'm like in the shower or, like, does it relate to me when I'm out at a bar spending money on capitalism and it feels... You know what I mean? I don't know how to... Yeah. No, I understand units of capitalism. Yeah. It, something interesting in there that you said, and I'm curious to think, think about this more. Do you feel... I mean, obviously, your music is political. I mean, do you feel like the, an artist as big as Drake... Um, has a responsibility to no, uh, no, and no. feel free to replace the noun Drake with the noun Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of getting at the Taylor Swift thing slowly. Yeah, um, no, nah, I know artists got no responsibility to do nothing. Yeah. Okay, um, and especially, I mean, him being Canadian, like they're a little bit more lenient on things than him being half white. He didn't have to experience these things. I compare this to, like, when I first met, like, Jhumpa Lahiri, who was, like, an author that I love. But I was like, why do you write about, like, rich Indians whose parents are, like, professors? Like, that, like a lot of us and didn't grow up like that. And her answer was, like, I write about what I know. Mm -hmm. And at that same time, like, I respect that about Drake. And, you know, when I was younger, like, with Aziz Ansari, I'd be like, why doesn't he talk about being Indian? And 
you know, realizing how much now he does talk about this, I realize you can't rush someone to their identity, especially as a fan. So if you're there as a participant in, like, the conversation on their identity, it is a one-way conversation by virtue of them being an artist, but you can't really push them to what you think their identity should be. Like, you're you're a listener, not the therapist. In a sense, they're the client and the microphone's the therapist, and it's easy to assume that the listener has, like, all these thoughts, but at the end of the day, like, fuck you? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Just yeah. out of curiosity, I just looked up if, Drake had ever really said anything about Trump. And in uh, February of this year, he was on his Boy Meets World tour. One, I didn't know he'd call this a tour Boy Meets World tour. (laughs) So now we've talked about the Olsen twins and Boy Meets World. The closest Drake has come to Savage is Corey Savage. (laughs) (laughs) So he said... He said, uh, even... I know, I know. You still got one? Okay, good. It, uh, he, even, even in doing so, he was pretty like vague. He said on stage, if you think one man can tear this world apart, you're out of your motherfucking mind. It's on us to keep this shit together. And then fuck, did he launch into one and, dance? And then he said, fuck that man. But it doesn't have a comma like, fuck that man. It was. It says just, fuck that man. So I don't know. That's as close as he came, I guess, to... Uh, Drake is like the rap version of Jordan saying Republicans buy sneakers, <laughs> which is where we can bring Taylor Swift into this, yeah, uh, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, one thing I've noticed about Canadians is <laughs> they have... They are more ingrained in, like, a kind of, like, janky, semi-socialist government. Like, they have free health care... Maybe that's just it. Um, and so a lot of, like, pissed-off, rebellious Americans turn, you know, leftwards, like socialist, communist, uh, Chapo Trap House listener. And uh, pissed-off Canadians tend uh, have a bit more of a tendency to go libertarian. Um because they have the freedom to do so, because they have the luxury of doing so. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because when I wrote that article critical of Taylor Swift not be, having much of a political stance other than money, uh, the most common responses I got were, well, what about Drake? Well, what about Harry Styles? Well, what about Lord? And it's like, none of those are American citizens. <laughs> like, why would I care what they have to say about Trump? I don't know. I think he kind of gets a little bit easier. I think if Drake was in America... Like, if he was an American citizen, there might be more pressure on him. Well, he gets to tiptoe that line. Yeah. Which is, like, if he doesn't say anything, well, I'm Canadian. And, like, yeah, not a lot of people get to tiptoe. Like, it's so close, but he has that distance where he doesn't have to get involved. Yeah. Which is, like, an ideal situation for, like, an artist, especially, like, a pop artist to have, really. Mm -hmm. He's, he's like, an everyman. Drew wrote the article that uh, uh, Drake is running for president of the universe. He he was just like that kid in, in... high school who's running for class president and he's everybody's friend and no he's more like donald trump having like obama ridicule him from a stage and being like i'm gonna get there one day and he's like a kid that never got pussy and now he's just like i'm gonna fuck every girl and like get really sentimental about it drake is the donald trump of rap don't quote me don't quote me don't quote me don't quote me, don't quote me, don't quote me. i think we have a name for the episode <laughs> um <laughs> but i mean but, i think it is true that uh, as there is one perspective that is a very valid one that is an artist's responsibility is to their work and as long as they make a work that is that speaks to something to someone they have done their job and it 
might honestly be better if Drake said, does not say, okay, my music is a product. The market demand dictates that I say fuck Donald Trump in a song. Ergo, I will make uh, a bad ripoff well, of fuck Donald Trump. considering how much he like follows trends, aren't you surprised that this is the one trend he hasn't really followed? That's yeah. true, yeah. His next album is going to just be called The Resistance. You know, isn't, it, <laughs> isn't that like odd? Yeah. That is, that is weird. That is a very That's good That's a point. good point, yeah. I mean, he is like the king of just jumping on. It might just be too hot, though, because it's not a trend. It's something like people are. Yeah, but I gotta feel like he's interpreting it from a musical standpoint as a trend. Like I do think of him as like a zeitgeist processing like machine that, like you know, you know, and he's good at that. I'm not even gonna knock him on that, but I I have to think that he's thinking of this as something to put in a song, which is when you. Sure, some of it's therapy, some of it's political statement, but some of it's also like this is what people are talking about. Let me make a quick Hurrica Katrina freestyle, like you know, or like you have people that just jump on a thing and and put it up on YouTube, and you know, I'm sure he's like thinking about that more patiently. But yeah, it is just surprising to me. Yeah. Do you? I mean, do you listen to Drake? Often? Yeah. Like, if an album comes out, I will listen to it, and I will enjoy a lot of it and you know but i the rapper comes in in a competitive way where like i said like i'm an emotional light-skinned boy who likes reggae music and afro pop i wanted to do this yeah you know and then it's those moments where it's like well i haven't for a reason and like or if i've engaged it i've done it in a different way but yeah it's uh it's yeah it's interesting to me he's a lot of his press doesn't he doesn't do press that much and when he does it's pretty much like gossipy self-absorbed he gets that pop press not yeah. that like you know daily rap hustle press where you're constantly doing stuff so he really gets to put out there what his brand is before him as a person and like he i think jumped into that quickly one other thing, though, maybe is that he's also not problematic in a way. Like, you've never heard him say, like, explicitly, like, homophobic things or racist things or, like, on the flip side, he's not using his, like, platform. But he also, in a world where, and I'm, I've been called out in culture and, like, I find call-out culture to be, like, difficult to go through, but in the long term, like, a rewarding experience, he's never really been called out for, like, some, like, wild shit. So he he's doing a great job of tiptoeing that line, that, yeah. which has to be commended in a way as well. I mean, I do think that in 2017, if he had just now mentioned Courtney from Hooters on Peach Street, that would get a completely different reaction today than, uh, you know, it did in 2011 or 12 or whatever. Well, that's a whole other podcast conversation, yes. right? Yeah, it's like I think so. How, yeah. like, where call-out culture meets rap and where rap is, like, the music of the youth, but so is, like, you know, social progressivism and how to... Yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But Drake is very, like, always on trend. So that's the thing is, like, you can't... That's why this his lyrics from You gotta yesterday. wonder, though. You've seen him dress... <laughs> See the clothes he wears? Well, that's just what you get for only surrounding yourself with your childhood friends who you're paying so they can't say no to you. That's a, that's a batting glove rapper. 
What what real fashion trend has Drake made pop off? He was pretty early on the leather sweatpants. That's that was a thing. Yeah, I might have been wore, using back then, but he, 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 wore he yeah, sweatpants. yeah, yeah. Like he and a few other guys were, they kind of popularized like the noir leather sweatpants. It was like Bobby Brown. I don't remember. This. Or repopularized, yeah. <laughs> I think leather sweatpants is sort of an oxymoron. Like, that has I mean, no, office... if you got leather pants on, your legs are going to be sweating, buddy. Yeah. I feel like, oh, now I'm thinking about what sweatpants yeah, are. Yeah, I've been washing a hole here. I mean, I don't. Big sweaters? Did big he not sweaters? Is that, Did that catch that, on? Was that like a trend? What big sweaters? Big clothes yeah. are like rap. You can't attribute size taste to Drake. <laughs> you know what I bet? Like I could see Drake bringing back if he hasn't already. Like the big Magic Eight Ball jacket. You mean like <laughs> Dapper Dan stuff? Like the leather eight ball jacket. You know, just like yeah. Drake got ball. that Mike Pence haircut. He looked like a uh, like a he looked like a he looked like a thumb with a fade. <laughs> you know, where like that's the trend he brought on. It was yeah. like really like. Um, like nondescript dudes with like a fade. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for the record, yeah, Heems is just showing us his thumb and, and it, making it actually, us imagine Drake. It actually does look a something. lot. Heems' thumb, for the record, looks a lot like Drake. It's a skin tone <laughs> thing too. Like, uh, Both Drake and your career, uh, they they don't share a career. You said career. Careers, sorry. <laughs> um, no, Drake does not have a career. <laughs> right. um, well, both of you guys sort of emerged in a time when the internet became one of the primary ways for like disseminating music. Um, so, I mean, what do you? Well, I think what my what, statement we, is a question. We came now. up at the same time, not in a world of internet as music. I think if you have followed underground rap since like. 2099 you were on soul seek downloading like you know where did you, where did i get cannibal ox like i would go to fat beats and stuff like that but i was illegally downloading it was my bad mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> um but for me more it was a time in which rap was losing its concept of what authenticity is and how important authenticity is to music is when drake and i came up together and it was more like cool kids lil b odd future maybe that's racist i wouldn't even but maybe uh, Drake. It was this. I I refer to the major changing point in rap music as, it, well, three. It was like a. It was Blueprint, which was Kanye, and it was two thousand one, and nine uh, eleven. I mean, and like I think at this point the idea of kind of authenticity changed when Kanye came about, where he was, you know, dropped out of art school, calling his college dropout, rapping with Mostef and Talib, but rapping with, you know, Freeway on the same track. And, like, bridging this, there was a real kind of view of rap of it has to be underground or mainstream. And I think when Kanye broke down those walls of authenticity that were, like, already not really real based on, like, older rappers whose parents were professors and middle class and stuff. And I think Drake and a lot of, like, the current school of, like, rap, let's, I don't know if super duper Kyle's from the hood, but he, his head is popping up right now when I'm talking about authenticity and rap and stuff. Like, I think a lot of this came after Kanye and Drake and their, like, brief interest in each other or continued interest is, like, exemplary of this. Like, that's when I, that's when I think me and Drake were in the same boat was the idea of authenticity being broken down. Like, middle-class kids 
with racial confusion or like, you know, with parents that are middle class or upper class, uh, not kind of um, speaking to like the dustiness of like 90s rap. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we go. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, this is usually the the last minute of the episode where we like just shamelessly beg Drake to come on the podcast. Yeah. So Drake, if you're listening, it's too late. To come on the podcast. No, it's, no, it's not. not. Too late. Come on the podcast. Yeah. Well, well, bring me back if he comes. Yeah. We, <laughs> when when Drake comes on, it's just going to be every guest that we've had over a month, just like we'll thirty just talk people. Mad shit and then try to get a feature. <laughs> so that that speaks to like I think that sums it up. <laughs> well, this has been Heems. You're on Twitter, right? Is it? Yeah. yeah. At Himansu or at Himanshu. H I M is in Mary. A N is in New York. S is in Sam. H U. That's thank. That's what it's like being Indian for 32 years. Is you have to explain your name like that on the phone. So now y'all got to listen to a podcast, people. <laughs> well, I'm at Dan Ozzy, which is D as in Drake, A as in the third letter in Drake, N as in Nancy, who might be Drake's mom. I don't know. No, right now. Okay. Well, anyways, Eric Sunday at Eric Sunday at Drew Millard. D as in Drake. R as in Rake. <laughs> <laughs> e is in the last letter in Drake. Yeah. E is in F. W is in, you know how Drake keeps on getting double wins. Wait, did you tell the joke? I was the awesome girls one, but then the other one ended up being better. <laughs> so. Well, this has been October's very own podcast about Drake. Until next episode. Thanks. Yeah.